Hi guys, welcome back to the How Great Is The Heart podcast, the most wholesome podcast in Northwest. Today we're bringing back the series, the 10 self-coaching questions for creative series. And today my guest is um, multidisciplinary artist Susan Hensel, whose work is known nationwide and is represented by a plethora of places, including MoMA and the Getty Research Institute. How are you doing today, Susan? I'm good. I'm a little cold, but I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah. want to tell the uh, listeners how cold it is over there. Well, in uh, Fahrenheit, it's minus 11. In Celsius, it's pretty close to minus 28. Wow. I'm in, I'm in Minneapolis, and we're having kind of the tail end of what they're calling the bomb cyclone. Mm. So we got the snow yesterday. Right. Got about eight inches or so of snow, but now we have the wind to blow it all around so that it's not really safe to be outside. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. yeah. We had a bit of snow, like, last week, but it wasn't too bad. I thought it was bad because I just don't like snow, but I couldn't <laughs> imagine being in like minus 28 degree weather. It's a bit much. Wow. I mean, I like the cold and I like the snow, but this is a bit much. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's a little too cold. Yeah. So, um, do you want to tell us a little bit more about you and like what you do? Okay. Well, I am Susan Hensel. Right. Um, I live in Minneapolis, Minnesota in the U.S. And um, I come to fiber art through the lens of sculpture. I've worked in many media over the years because I'm trained as a sculptor. Mm-hmm. And that means you know a lot about materials. And about eight years ago or so, I was attending the Minnesota State Fair where I saw an embroidery machine in action. I knew about embroidery machines. They're, mm. I mean, I see the, looks like a Detroit Tigers hat that you yes, have. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, I used to live in Michigan, so I know that logo. <laughs> so that logo was made in an embroidery machine and put on your hat, either as a patch or directly onto your hat. Yeah. And that's the way those things um, are usually used, those machines. They're used for monograms, for putting teddy bears on sweatshirts. <clears throat> but when I saw this machine, um, I kind of rounded a corner in mm-hmm. the building where manufacturers show off all their new stuff. And it's usually trash. Yeah, it's usually real garbage stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but there was um it looked like a home sewing machine but with a hoop on it and and they were stitching out Donald Duck nobody was touching the machine you know it was it, he was just getting stitched out and you know that was mesmerizing enough but I, I knew that wasn't a big deal what was a big deal to me was the color of his shirt it was the bluest blue I have ever seen in my life. I was absolutely mesmerized and I sort of stood transfixed and I knew I was in trouble and that I was about to take a left turn in midstream. <laughs> <laughs> and so I left the fair knowing I had to get one of these machines and I had to learn to design for it. And it took a number of years to get grants and financing. It was a combination of um, getting a loan for the machine, and and those are pretty easy to get, 
um, and then getting a grant for the software and learning how to make my own designs. And I am still just as mesmerized as I was however long ago that was. So in my background that you're looking at, um, mm -hmm. all of these things have been made on mostly on my giant um, embroidery machine because I have graduated um, to a commercial machine that has a stitch field of 48 inches. Wow. It's huge. I mean, that's almost as tall as I am. <laughs> and I'm not very tall. But, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, you know, when I stand up, the hoop comes to here if right. I have a hoop on the ground. So it's a massive size area. And when I, excuse me, found the machine that allowed that and got a loan because that's what you have to do. They're horribly expensive. It's almost like buying a car. Wow. Yeah. Um, a little less than a new car, but I I remember when new cars were were a lot less. And um I can build from from pieces into larger pieces. And so that's what I do. And I work with um color a lot because the the embroidery thread itself is unique in that it is called trilobal thread and i work with the polyester thread and what that means is that if you were to look at it under a microscope and you cut it through cut through it its cross section would be basically a triangle mm. and the effect on the color is profound because the the light is bouncing off at all different angles and of course the angle of the light is what determines what our eyes see Right. And so um, if I was looking, well, when I was looking at Donald Duck's blue shirt, it was sparkling like you wouldn't believe, but there wasn't a bit of metal in the thread. It was just the fact that the way the light bounced off, I got to see different saturations of that blue, and I got to see um, that ultramarine blue kind of toward the red end of the spectrum or toward the green end of the spectrum. So it makes a very complicated color, which is fabulous. Right. And so I work with that. And so that when you're in a room with the pieces, as you walk by, because a lot of the pieces are folded also, as you walk by, you'll get um, kind of a confusing effect because you'll start walking by and you'll say, well, yeah, you know, that's a nice blue. And then you go, wait a minute, that blue changed. Mm. So, or even so solid color pieces, I've got some solid red colored pieces that are just as confusing. And it has to do with how the light bounces off. So it's great fun. I love doing it. It's just fabulous. Mm, yeah. so that's that makes a I'm lot of sense. Yeah. Because there's yeah. certain like items of like clothing that I would buy and I wouldn't buy, even though they might be the same color, just because it looks different. Like it just yeah. makes it look more appealing. Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm applying, you know, these techniques that people use um, to make the teddy bears and the Detroit Tigers logos and things. But I'm mostly working on felt because I like how it bites in, the stitches bite in. I think that's cool. That's the sculptor in me. I like that. Yeah. And um, and I'm working with the intent of emphasizing three dimensionality. Mm. 
So, so that's what I do. And then I wow. add things to it as needed. I do woodworking. I, you know, I don't do metal work and I don't like working with metal particularly, but I've collected, um, like behind my head, there's an antique pipe mold. Um, and pretty soon I'm going to talk to somebody who knows about these, but they just saw a show of mine in Northern Minnesota. And he is a person who works with them. He works in a forge. And it was like, oh, I have to learn more. I think they were, they were made, um, well, they're made to make sewer pipes and mm -hmm. things like that. And there are a lot of retired molds around and they're just beautiful. They show their age. They show, they always have like the, um, uh, a serial number on them that's been uh, pressed in and sometimes you'll see somebody's signature because they were the last person to use it it's kind of fun, oh. it's kind of fun. yeah yeah so. so um am i right in saying that you also you own a gallery as well yes i do right. i do um i have been a gallerist for probably 30 years on and off okay I moved to Minnesota about 20 years ago, and I bought a building that the first floor is my studio, and initially it was my gallery and my studio, and and I would exhibit um, artwork from all over the United States, Canada, and sometimes Mexico. And in the end, you know, it was very successful, but I really missed the studio. I loved, loved, loved putting on the shows. Right. But it became um, untenable for my studio practice. So I closed the um, the gallery program um, probably five years ago. And I retained programming in the windows because it's an old commercial building with humongous shop windows, really big ones that, that you and I can stand up in together. <laughs> you know, they're really big. And during the pandemic, I decided that it was time to start the gallery program again, but online only. And so mm. I'm now a member gallery on artsy.net. And I represent Midwest artists who have a particular focus on materiality, as I do. That's so, cool. Wow. Yeah. What would you say is the best thing and then the worst thing about being a gallerist? Um, the best thing is all the artwork you get to look at. I mean, let's face it. And when you're still in person, all the artwork you get to live with, handle, you know, all that. Mm -hmm. When you get to look at it intimately, you get to see how they made it, you know, good things like that. Um, the worst part is that the deadlines just are always there. And so the administration is always there right and it's um it's a detail-oriented kind of work that is not my my best skill let's put it that way i'm a decent administrator but i would never <laughs> hire myself out as an administrator <laughs> i can i can do it and i can do it on time um so i don't like that part um, but I do enjoy the marketing. That's very mm. creative and that's fun to do because that involves working with their photographs and and creating stories for them and getting the information out there about them. So that's fun. I think that's a lot of fun. And I've always thought that was fun. So. 
Yeah. Yeah, it sounds cool. I've I've wanted to own a gallery one day. I think. Yeah. 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 I think it'll yeah. be cool. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, gonna start these questions. You bet. Um. So I've got ten questions for you. Okay. And I just want you to answer them as honestly as possible. Keep it. Can be as short as long as you want. Okay. Alright. So the first question is what good thing are you thankful for today? I am thankful for my improving health. I had a serious injury last spring um on my oh. hip. And um it's it's been a lot of work and it continues to be a lot of work. But mm-hmm. um I've got most of my energy back and I am mostly able to walk wherever I need to go. So I am very thankful for the hard work I've put in with all of my physical therapists. <laughs> so That's good. <laughs> okay. Um question two. Uh, when do you feel most fulfilled as an artist? Oh, when I can get my ego out of the way. Um, and that happens, you know, when you manage for using whatever techniques it takes to enter flow. And so that's that time when you're playing with materials and you aren't worried about whether you're doing things right, whether it's going to succeed any of those things you're just um totally engrossed in the pleasure of what your eyes are seeing and your hands are feeling and i have a number of techniques for getting there because mm. the work of an artist unfortunately is not all about the materials that's that's you know maybe 25% of, of what you do because there's so much else you have to do in terms of assembling the thing Boxing the thing, shipping the thing, finding shows for the thing, telling people about the thing. Yeah. You know, all those things take up probably more of your time than the creative spark. But if I, there's certain kinds of music that if I listen to, um, I can kind of get out of my own way. I can, I always create well to, um, Johann Sebastian Bach to uh, actually some of the meditation music that's out there um, that works well for me. Um, I don't work well to vocal music because I follow the words too much. Yeah, yeah. yeah so it's better for me to have non-vocal music. And, and sometimes um, I'll use music thematically on a large project. There was a very large project I did probably 15 years ago that was done entirely to the blues. That was the soundtrack. And it was because of the the size of the stroke I needed to do. It was a full body action. So I needed to be able to feel like I was dancing. 
And indeed, I did dance. I, I would put on the music. I remember doing this when I was at a residency. And <laughs> had to buy more music off of iTunes. And I sort of looked around. Nobody's looking at me. And I just started kind of dancing. And <laughs> then I was able to attack, you know, the six-foot paper I was working with. Um, so I do use it thematically. Um, there's been artwork I've done to opera. Um, but mostly, um, mostly it's just fairly smooth things that just allow me to concentrate. That being said, with Bach and Scarlatti, I do get um, a little bit of synesthesia. I get a geometric synesthesia where I feel and see kind of like wire forms. Mm -hmm. uh, synesthesia, most people see color. I see wire forms, go figure. But given that I work with so much geometry, that's not bad. Yeah, it's okay. It'd be good. <laughs> well, when it first happened, I thought I had a brain tumor, but you know. Oh, good. <laughs> then I realized it was synesthesia, so it's okay. It's just one of those things brains do. Mm. Well, I see what you mean, because I, I, I didn't realize before, but mood is quite important, like in yeah. the process of making art, um, because sometimes I have quite solemn themes in my artwork but they're always covered by like bright colors mm -hmm. and I never do that intentionally it's just that when I'm doing that person when I'm doing that part the coloring part I, I'm just always like happy because I enjoy doing that part isn't that just, interesting yeah. yeah so the colors become happy so yeah. that's your favorite part yeah so I just yeah. tend to use bright colors because that's like I feel happy doing it so yeah yeah well, I feel really happy when I am in in contact with materials. It's just, you know, um, with all of the physical therapy and our blizzards, um, <laughs> I, I haven't had a lot of time in the studio, like oceans of time. I've right. had broken up bits of time. And yesterday I had a little bit of time in the morning and I was just working with some things that had not succeeded in the machine, but I wanted to play with them and see what would happen. And I got all kinds of ideas out of it. And it was just so much fun. I just turned on some meditation music and I played. What happens if I fold it? What happens if I curve it? What happens if I put something in it, under it, over it, through it? You know, it was just so much fun. And it opened up um, a portal, really, to uh, to more ways to use these designs that were not working as I thought they were intended. Mm. It seems that they have another life that they're supposed to live. So I'm going to find it. And and those are the great times. I mean, I am a, a basically an an optimistic person right. but like everybody of course you know i mean i have i had a serious injury that really you know was upsetting and all that and so i do use um and i've had tragedies in my life i mean you live long enough you do regardless i don't mm -hmm. you don't get out of out of this life without getting skinned almost alive it's yeah. just the way it is and so i also use artwork to heal that aspect of living because it's living's hard it's hard there's always 
there are always brick walls that you feel like you're running into or broken relationships, whatever it is. And I use, I use artwork to heal that. And some yeah. of it's published, some of it isn't. I mean, there's the artwork that's private um, that, that doesn't have to go in a gallery, but it does so much for me. I continue to do it. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I always say that the artist's life, I mean, the art reflects the life of the artist, like in some way. Um, yeah. Like, even if, it's not directly something that was in your life. It's maybe like something you've learned or mm-hmm. like it's just some part of it of the artwork is from your life. I always find that interesting. I think it is. I was listening to a lecture by the critic Jerry Salse the other day and I enjoy his writing. So I was glad to attend one of his lectures. And the one thing he said very emphatically to the audience was among many other things he's very emphatic Mm. (laughs) but one of the things he said that stuck with me and i believe it utterly says that no matter what you do as an artist it is political because you live where you live when you live and even if what you're doing is a lovely or a terrible you know picture of a vase of flowers the context of your life is in that painting so mm. it is political regardless so and i love that because there's so much pressure i don't know if it's that way in england but here there's a lot of pressure on artists to be politically relevant and to be angry all the time and for the yeah. art to be angry all the time and i would prefer i make angry art i just don't publish it i prefer to make <laughs> art I prefer to make art for the world that that allows people to have an experience of imagining a better world. Mm. Imagining a world where where beauty matters, where kindness matters, where compromise matters. You know, help them imagine um, the world as they would want it to be. Because if we can imagine it, um, maybe we can outgrow as humans some of our mm, crummier tendencies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Uh, yeah. Okay. Question three. Um, how are you building rest into your schedule? Oh, I take a day off a week. Okay, that's I good. I really do. Um, it, it started, I mean, I've always kind of taken Sundays off. You know, I'll go to church and then just do nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, our little church is little Lake Nokomis Presbyterian Church, about a hundred people max, not, not attending, just who, <laughs> you know, who, who are members. <laughs> so, you know, 30, 40 people on yeah. a, a heavy day. Um, about 10 years ago, we shifted um the focus of our worship we've always been very worship oriented mm-hmm. and very biblically oriented um and we decided to take seriously the call to sabbath and so what we what we determined to do was to have a contemplative service on saturday night 
that especially in the winter would end in the dark and would would um release us to a day of sabbath now not everybody can take sundays off we all know this and yeah. even i can't always you know take it off sometimes they're just too many um too many deadlines that suddenly come up but this was absolutely revolutionary for for me and for many of us because my first response was i always take sundays off what's the big deal you know and and it really was qualitatively different partly because the meditative service um is very quiet and it's all about prayer and that's kind of where i live spiritually it, it's it is um it's a better fit than the traditional service for my spiritual needs so there mm -hmm. was that and i didn't know that of course until we were doing it what did i know <laughs> um but also the, the intentionality of it as as being not only healthy and called for in the Ten Commandments, which we look at upon as a wonderful um, sermon my pastor has given that I will never forget. She called it Rules for Learning to Live Free mm. because of the the story of Moses taking everybody, you know, through the desert, across the Red Sea through the desert, and and they had to get the Ten Commandments because they had been enslaved for generations and had no idea how to live in community and how to live with freedom. And so I love that idea. Um, and that the animals need a rest, we need a rest. It's a reset. And sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, busyness is, uh, can be toxic. And it's really good to feel that discomfort sometimes or to go deep and just try to be. And I have found that I almost always return on a Monday morning invigorated. And and I might have just, you know, cooked for the week, done the laundry, because I don't do those things during my work week. So mm -hmm. that's a Sabbath thing for me, because I don't mind doing them as long as I don't have to do them every day. Yeah. And and maybe I watched a movie, maybe I read some books, you know, whatever. Um, but yet it's qualitatively different because it's being done with a different intent. And so that's really, really important to me. And I do keep a schedule in general because I'm one of those people. I'm better if I get up at more or less the same time every day and go to bed at more or less the same time every day. So I'm just one of those people. That's good. A lot of people didn't have like schedule, like all put rest in there. Yeah. A lot of creatives don't do that. I know a lot of them. I don't know how they do it. They want to paint all night. And, yeah. And 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 if I work past a certain hour, it's really hard to stop. But but I'm creative during the day too. So I try to when it's a production day because it can't all be but i try to leave things knowing what i'm going to do when i get up in the morning so mm -hmm. you know um like I, I put a note I, I wrote a little note and i put it on one of those things i was playing with yesterday so i wouldn't forget the next step that i thought i might want to do um or if it's a new piece of paper for a new drawing 
Oh, I make that paper dirty before I go to bed, so it's not as scary in the morning. Right. Yeah, got to put you got to put a mark on it, or you might never start. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so I have things like that that I do, but I I like to know, I like to leave things a little bit undone so I know what the next step is. Okay. Yeah. I might try that. That that sounds interesting. Well, it it helps me keep going. Hmm. Yeah, it just helps me keep going. So, yeah. So it doesn't take me quite as long to engage with materials in the morning. I mean, I still have to drink a lot of coffee first. But... <laughs> <laughs> you know. But, yeah. Okay. Um, I think we're on number four, five? Four, I think. Maybe. Four. Okay. Um, what steps can you take to refill your creative well? To to do what? To refill your creative well. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, that's Sabbath for real. Mm. Um, and the other thing that I do, um, I don't do residencies very often because I always have a pet, and you can't take your pet to the residency. And I'm a single person, so mm-hmm. I either have to kennel them for an incredible amount of money or stay home. So, um, especially with the dog I have now, she's very sensitive and wouldn't do well in a kennel. Mm. She's an old girl. Oh, she's good. <laughs> <laughs> she's kind of sick, so she's just not good, oh. good kennel material. Um, but what I do do for myself um, is that every summer, I rent a cottage on Lake Superior, which is one of the Great Lakes, and you it's the coldest lake, the deepest lake of the Great Lakes, and when you stand on the shore, you cannot see the other shore. It's it's the it's an inland ocean is really what it is. And um it has huge storms, you know, with ten foot waves, twenty foot waves. So it's it's very much like an ocean. And I found a cottage up there um, that that is right on the stony beach. And I can bring my dog. And I've been going there for two weeks every year for at least 10 years, maybe longer. And I have turned that into my residency. And so I take a milk crate full of books that I might want to read. Um, and they're almost all about art, not very many novels. It's, it's, it's kind of my time to focus on new things. And I take, um, a single needle embroidery machine, a lot of paper, thread, you know, things that I might want to play with, but I rarely have, um, any focus beyond what materials I might want to play with and, and just simply enjoying myself. Like the focus might be, how can I involve sticks with this? Because there's mm-hmm. always driftwood everywhere. You know, that might be the total amount of focus I have is that. That's nothing. So I play for two weeks. I read, I journal, I play with materials, I walk on the beach, I drink wine at sunset. It's wonderful. And and I almost always come back not only refreshed, but with 
really remarkable new discoveries. Hmm. Um, almost everything you see behind me in this background grew out of that practice. Oh. Because it was while I was up there that I I discovered that I could bend and fold the felt rather like origami and get um, really interesting effects on the color. And it was while I was up there that I investigated um, different ways of layering the color on the felt to get different effects. And it was just because I, I was there and I said, huh, I wonder what would happen if I did whatever. Mm. You know, that open-ended, essential creative question, which is, what if? Yeah. What if? And I do all kinds of what ifs when I'm up there. And I almost always come back with fresh ideas, fresh ways of being. And and so I do, for anybody who can, highly recommend resonancies for that reason. Um, because by getting out of your daily life um, and your daily habits, by shaking it up, new things can happen and it's really it's fun i mean my goodness it's a lot of fun you have no idea what you're doing but <laughs> because you know you're not fulfilling an obligation you're just playing like a child again it's great yeah yeah and the the benefit of residencies residencies of course is that um you get to have conversations with other artists and the residencies I've gone to, there are two of them. Um, Ragdale, which is outside of Chicago, I've gone a couple of times. And then I went to, last year when I was between dogs, <laughs> Virginia Center for Creative Arts. And both of these centers have in um, visual artists, choreographers, musicians, and writers. And the cross-pollination is really wonderful when you have that mix. It's really great so oh. yeah so so it's nice and some of them i'm still in touch with from you know 20 years ago people that i've met so wow yeah yeah residencies are cool sounds good yeah yeah i like virginia as well i did a study abroad in virginia uh, oh did you really where yeah virginia? um fredericksburg oh okay yeah. 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 Great. Good for you. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah, yeah. I did yeah. a study abroad between high school and college in Italy. Oh wow. Yeah, I went to Perugia. Um mm. they had I don't know if they still to still have it, but it was a language school, Institute de Per Stranieri, something Institute de Perugia Per Stranieri. And so basically it was people from all over the world who needed to learn Italian for whatever reason. And so we had a lot of um, pilots from the Middle East learning Italian. Mm -hmm. But I also went to the art academy when I was there. And and, and then we were taken out. We, it was a group of high schoolers mostly, so mostly teenagers. And we were taken out to, you know, the great places like Florence and Siena and and oh my goodness, to see you know the Michelangelo's and to see 
the Leonardo da Vinci's and the, um, and the Giotto's up in Siena. Oh my goodness gracious. It was fabulous. <laughs> yeah, I still need to go. I've never been to Italy. It's uh, really amazing. It's yeah. just so hard to get anywhere right now, obviously. So, well, it'll come again. We'll mm. be able to travel again sometime. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Um... So, continue with question five. Five, I think, yeah. Yeah. So, whose creative work do you want to learn more about and why? Ooh. Um, I, I actually want to learn more. Oh, it's so hard to decide which one. I'm reading about Agnes Martin right now. And I want to continue with that. Um, for Christmas, I got the biography of Hilma of Klint. Oh. And I'm interested to read about her. I went to the show when it was um, in New York. And I didn't know anything about it. But the friend I went with did. And she was just proclaimed, you know, just just about weeping in front of me. <laughs> um, and the longer I look at her work, the more relationship i see with kandinsky mm -hmm. and i also have a kandinsky book i want to delve into and for me the i you know i appreciate that hilma of clint came from from her spiritual base to do what she did i i understand that and and i do that too but I also am really interested in the way she used color, the way Kandinsky used color. And with Agnes Martin, I am really interested in the subtleties of what she did. Because the pieces, when you get to be in a room with them, the paintings especially, are just overwhelming in almost the same way a good Rothko is. So those are the three that I'm really kind of focused on right now. And it it surrounds color and effect mm. on me, the viewer. Um, mm. yeah. I don't think I've heard of, was it Agnes Martin? I don't think I've heard of her before. Yeah, um, Agnes Martin was in the, she probably died in the 90s, right. perhaps. And um, she was uh, a minimalist, kind of. Um, her Her works are very spare. They tend to be lines, but not not sharp edged like Bridget Riley. Um, they have a different effect than Bridget Riley's work, mm -hmm. and I like her work very much too. And I've studied her uh, very closely, actually. Um, but um, there's a similarity, but it's all hand done and on close inspection. Um, like you can see the wiggle of the pencil line and things like that. But they're often so spare, it's almost like there's nothing there until you just sit with them and let them affect you. And then you begin to feel kind of the wide open spaces that she lived in. She lived in New Mexico in the desert. Mm -hmm. And you get that sense of that after a bit. Um, she was schizophrenic. Um, and... Um, she was also an Olympic caliber swimmer. Wow. <laughs> Who knew, right? 
<laughs> um, she lived um, mostly alone. She she had, I think, some success in New York, but it was just too much for her. And and people there, you know, some of whose names we've heard of, I think Kenneth Noland was one of them, another mm-hmm. minimalist, um, helped take care of her. You know, in their journals, you'll you'll see things of them saying, oh, Agnes is having a hard time right now. You know, and and so she moved out of New York to um, the desert. She was represented, I think, all of her working life by Pace Gallery. And so they would fly out there, pry things out of her hands to take back to New York. You know, um, She would destroy her work all the time. Wow. I mean, it was it was really remarkable. So, yeah. yeah. That's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah I'm up. going to know. Yeah, yeah. If, if you can get to the museum to a museum that's got her work, do right. it because that will change uh, possibly your attitude. Because I I really didn't get Agnes Martin on paper mm. until I sat All right, maybe in Chicago, you know, with with an installation of mm-hmm. her work, and then I understood. Then I understood. So, yeah. Yeah, sounds like an interesting character. Yeah, oh, very. Yeah, yeah. I don't think I would have would have liked her very much. But <laughs> <laughs> the, this is a funny aside because I was just reading this lately. the The man who is Judy Chicago's husband, mm-hmm. and they've been married like maybe twenty years now. Um, he was Agnes Martin's assistant, sorta, and so he wrote. A short little, not really well written book about his time with Agnes Martin, and so he built you know all the adobe stuff on the property, and he was living in a teepee, and you know all, you know all that. <laughs> <stuff. You know? laughs> he was a good photographer, though he was an excellent photographer. So yeah, so oh. how's that for an odd thing to learn? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know when I saw that little book, I thought. I know that name. Why do I know that name? <laughs> <laughs> then I learned why I know that name. So, yeah. Keeps you interested though. It does. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Yeah. There, there are a lot of people out there who have the same affliction we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Making> art. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, six questions. Six. Um, In what ways does God's salvation and strength apply to you as an artist? God's salvation and what? Strength. Strength, okay. Yeah. Um, in my tradition, um, our salvation is our birthright. Mm-hmm. So we're born saved. Mm-hmm. So um, we don't get to achieve it. It's the gift. Right. Uh, being created and the the place that it operates besides all the time is that you know we are the children of a creative and continually creating god mm. you know god continues the creation over and over and onward and onward and we are created in the image of this god and if indeed all of that is true then we are creative mm. and that is my call and it's 
it's very obvious to me because of the the how do I say the strength of my need to make this work and to exhibit this work because this work is alive and it has good work to do in the world. So I'm not a marcher. I don't carry protest signs. You know, I I would never be a legislator. I would cry all the time. <laughs> I, I can't do that stuff, but I can use the skills that I have for the good of the world. Mm. That's my call. So I'm the creative member of the creative community that God created. And, I like that answer. Uh, yeah. 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 And for me, it, um, it all, it all circles around that sense of grace of the Holy spirit. Cause for me, that's, that's the creative activity of God is in the Holy spirit. And that's, that's where I identify. Others may not, you know, that's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, we had this discussion over zoom um, that this spring, because our, our congregation is far flung now because of zoom. We have people here in Minnesota, people in Washington state, people in California. We have people all over the United States now. And, and it was like, okay, what the, it was a questioning time. Who do you, which part of the Trinity do you most identify with? And, and I was the only one who said the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and my friend Kelly went, ah, Jesus, Jesus all the time. It always but, gets left out. The Holy Spirit. Always yeah, gets yeah, left, yeah. But yeah. she's, but she is a retired minister. So, okay, that's okay. <laughs> so, but no, I'm, I'm, I'm off on the Holy Spirit side because I see that as the activity of God in the world. Mm. So it's the best I can understand of it anyways. I, I like the answer. I never thought about it like that, but yeah. it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. It does, yeah. yeah. Okay. Question seven. Um, to what degree will you be authentic in your art? I can't be otherwise. It's a simple answer. Um, you know, I don't think that authentic means, you know, spilling your guts necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but putting your guts into it. I mean, mm-hmm. your guts are in what you do. My guts are in what I do. Um, like, like Jerry Saul said, we're in the context we're in. What we do um, is political in our context. So we, I, I don't try to be who I'm not. Yeah, I just don't. Um, I know there are people whose skills are such that um, they can take their skills and apply it to what the market wants. Okay, and and that's fine. I just don't happen to be one of those people. Yeah, Um, I have to make what I have to make, and if I get a commission, it is based on what I do. And, um, and it's based, and I make, I try to make really clear what the expectations are. And so that we don't have too many hiccups along the way, because I'm not the person who's going to paint something or stitch something to match your couch. I'm just not, Mm -hmm. I don't know how to do that. That's not where my skills lie. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 
So yeah, so you'd say it's like being or like having integrity when you make your work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I don't make it for the market. Um I wish I did, but I I I'm that particularly skilled at that. Mm. Yeah, and I never have been. So um when I worked in clay, yes, I could make mugs for the market. Yeah. I knew the mugs would support everything else I did. Um, you know, to that degree I can make for the market. But um yeah, no, I have to make um I mean it's it would sound terribly woo-woo to a, a lot of artists. I have to make what God tells me to make. Yeah. You know, I, I never know what I'm making until it's done. And that's you know, I, I have ideas going in, but it never, ever, ever is what I set out to yeah. do. I know the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's it becomes something else. And and when I talked earlier about you know getting my ego out of the way, mm-hmm. and I'm sure you have this experience too, that with there's certain pieces more than others that you have made. Or that I have made where, you know, I, I I look at them, you know, a few days later and go, I made that? Yeah, yeah. How did <laughs> that happen? You know, that it's it's like I have no recall of how it all came together. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's, you know, maybe that's God's movement through us. I don't know. Yeah. But it certainly is authentic. Because yeah. I, I couldn't guide it. It just was so yeah i I, i've talked about this before like on a quite a few episodes as well like i've had i go through like the same thing yeah people would ask me oh what does this mean i'm just like i don't know and it's like how do you not know because you made it i was like i well i don't know so every time i explain my work i always explain it as if i was someone looking at it rather than the person who made it yeah because That's how it just feels to me. Well, it often does to me too. But as artists, we have to write about our work, unfortunately. Yeah. And um, and you know, we make visual art. You know, obviously, it can have words in it. Obviously, it can. But but it's a language of its own. It's a language beyond words. And so, putting words to a lot of it is difficult. And so, one of the ways I got to it with most of the stuff you see behind me. And my background was, you know, I I made it from the beauty of the materials, you know, the, the things I was working with. And then I looked at it and I said, well, what are you concerned about? Why does it all look like this? Um, one of my friends said to me, you make art in order to understand yourself and to figure out what you're thinking. Mm. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. And so I sat down and I, I realized that yeah, the, the spiritual component is emphatically there. There's a lot about uplift and about growth and all of that. But it also was about um, my increasing concerns with climate change and with the oceans and with how much of Great Britain is going to be underwater and mm-hmm. about how much, how much of Florida is going to be underwater and about how New Orleans is going to be gone. I mean, you know, um, and so I am an artist of my time and this made sense to me that that the way I could talk about this for other people was within the context of climate change 
mm. and falling in love with the planet again. The planet will outlive us, but but let's see what we can do to live with it longer. So, yeah. Well, I like that. Yeah. Okay, question eight. Um, how are you overcoming self-resistance in your art? I have techniques. I mean, I, I don't procrastinate a lot. But puppy videos will get me every time. <laughs> no question. Um, and sometimes dancers, you know, I'll have to watch those dancers. Um, I I have ways of getting around it. And a lot of it has to do with schedule and also with um, um, with how I think about studio time. Um, we all love the idea of studio time being this ocean of time, uninterrupted. Mm. Our food will just arrive <laughs> and our bills will just get paid. And there are no jobs that we have to go to. Yeah. All we have to do is create. Well, that's not reality. Not even for some of the famous artists. Even even a lot of the famous artists have university jobs they have to go to because they have to pay their bills. And so I've learned to think about studio time as being any block of time, even if it's only five minutes that you got, you can use it. Um, in this past year with... Um, two to three physical therapy appointments a week and the exhaustion and all that that go with a major injury. I've had to do things like, okay, I can cut the wood today. Good. That's my studio time. And then the next day, well, I've got five minutes before I go to the physical therapy appointment. I can paint that wood. That was my studio time for the day. So it was a paradigm shift. Mm. Um, whatever time you have is the time you have and you just plain use it. Now I'm, you know, I am lucky on some level that I'm old. I've got all day. I'm old. So that's cool. I'm in my seventies. I get to spend all day with this, but the reality is I still have to pay my bills. I still have to cook my food. I still have to do my laundry. I go to church. I serve on the church boards. You know, I do the things of living. So where does the studio fit in there? In between. Mm. You know, I try to schedule at least one or two days a week where I don't have appointments, which is harder to do with all the medical appointments I have for my hip. But, um, you know, I try to have nice blocks of time, but life intervenes. So I just use the time I have. And, and so... It's served me in good stead to know that every morning, you know, I come down, I live above my studio. Every morning I come downstairs with my cup of coffee. I start my day. So I start in the studio regardless. It might be just answering emails, but that is my schedule. And that really helps knowing that that's what I'm going to do first thing in the morning. Even if I have to leave at 730, I'm going to bring that cup of coffee downstairs and answer a couple emails. Mm -hmm. And that gets me anchored in the day. And um, and that trick I, I said 
told you earlier about yeah, leaving a mark on the paper or a note so I know where I'm coming back to. Right. Um, I just fit it in because it is so important to me to do it. And I watch puppy videos too. Of course I do. <laughs> um, a part of the reason it's not real super, super hard for me to get to work is that I'm not a perfectionist about it. I know that I'll be lucky if one or two of them I I deem masterpieces. There are one or two pieces I've made that I'm just so proud of. I can hardly stand that I made them. Mm -hmm. how, how, could, how could I have made them? But one of the things I know is that even if I screw up, and I screw up all the time, um, nobody's going to die, so it doesn't matter. I just keep screwing up until I get it right, or right enough. And And so by continually reminding myself that it's not rocket science, it's not surgery, you know, I'm not building a bridge that cars have to get across, I'm making stuff that I hope people will like, I hope people will appreciate, and I hope some people will own. Um, but no one's going to die if I mess up. So just enjoy it and do it. Just do it because it really doesn't matter. And the other piece of advice on that one too has to do with the expense factor because art materials are cheap. Mm -hmm. Some are more than others. And... And there are a couple ways I deal with that. Um, my materials are not very expensive right now. They really aren't. Um, but um, let's say you have a $10 sheet of paper. Right. And and you've started and you don't know what your next step is. Oh, my God. You have 10 hours into that thing already. Now what? Well, you've got a couple of options. You know, you take a flyer. You just go for it and hope you didn't don't mess up. But one of the things I do when the materials are expensive or the time investment is expensive is I'll take a picture of it mm. and I'll put it in my computer and I'll try out some of the ideas for the next step in mm. the computer so that I don't so so I can get rid of some of the scariness of messing up that amount of investment. I also in the computer will cut it up in ways that I'm scared to do it, you know, on the table. Right. Yeah. Until I really know I need to do it. And so I could cut it up. I can rearrange it. There are a lot of things I can do on the computer to help me over that bump. And the other thing I always advise people to do when they're like buying paper or buying canvases or whatever canvas, at least you can gesso it all over again. But when you're buying paper, buy at least two sheets so you can mess one up. Because yeah. all you have is one really beautiful sheet of paper. And I've, I've been victim of this, too. <laughs> Putting a mark on that unbelievably beautiful piece of paper is sometimes really hard. But if I have another one, just like it, I'm more likely to take the risk. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, so there are ways you could trick yourself, too. Yeah, that's part of the perfection, but also of the budget, obviously. You know, this this stuff isn't um, cheap to do, ultimately, for any of us. We do it because we got to. And mm -hmm. there certainly are 
like you said, you get real joy from putting in the color. And I get real joy in doing the designing. I love digitizing and I love assembling. I love building things. Oh my goodness. It is so much fun to me to cut wood and nail it and, and make it work and figure out the problems. I love that. <laughs> I love that. So, yeah. Yeah. So tricks. I also have on my website uh, yeah. a free um, PDF called Productivity in the Studio. And it's basically all the tricks that I have used over the years or learned from other people over the years to help keep me on target. And mm -hmm. and I address things like um, perfectionism. I address things about being afraid to show and how to handle all the rejections. Um, and I address Sabbath taking and and all the things that help you be more productive and healthier because i i believe really strongly in the health giving um attributes of making art it's just good for us and some of us just need to make more than others <laughs> mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah okay question nine um what support or accountability will help you stay disciplined or focused there are two things um i always i mean my critique group is kind of not happening right now because of weather and pandemic and stuff but having a a group of trusted professionals that you meet with is always a good thing i mean it's most of the time it's just wow i like that but if you get a really good group they might say wow i like that but did you ever think of or what were you trying to get at here or i don't understand that choice help me understand those are really important mm. um and um i had a second one can't remember what it is right now Oh, deadlines, ha! shows. <laughs> I know a lot of people who work just for shows and I'm not that person actually, um, but I, I exhibit a lot um, because I think the work has to be out in the world to be finished. And that keeps me going too, knowing mm -hmm. that, that I've got, I've got, I've got a reason that I'm doing this work and it has to be seen. And that keeps me going. So, mm. yeah. Okay. And it's fun. <laughs> okay. Last question. Hmm. Uh, I want to pick a good one. Yeah, pick a good one, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, no, really? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I asked this one already. Um, if you haven't already, what day will you celebrate your self-identity as an artist? Oh, I have no idea how to answer that. It is just so much a part of my identity. 
Mm. Um, we were challenged a few years ago in church to to identify ourselves. And my first response always is, I'm an artist. Mm. And then the second was, um, a child of God. And gosh, I can't remember the third now. I have it hanging um, on my mirror in my bathroom because it was a pretty profound experience. Um, and it had to do, I know, with being a person involved in community for the better of the community. Mm. But uh, no, I just am an artist. Everybody knows I'm an artist. They say things like, you are such an artist. <laughs> <laughs> and I live it such an ordinary life, Joshua. You know, I, you know, I keep to myself. You know, I don't overdo much of anything. I'm not wild. You know, I'm a church lady. Mm. You know, all that stuff. Um, I have a, a, an old friend who died a couple of years ago miss him terribly because he was one of my best critiquers he could walk in a room and from across the room go oh did you ever think you know because <laughs> <laughs> he had such a different way of looking at things but he would always say to me yeah oh sue you just can't be an artist you're not crazy enough and mm. i said tony tony <laughs> you know i'm an artist and you know i'm not crazy says, yeah i know i know <laughs> <laughs> So from that interaction, I actually did a series of works about poets, uh, female poets mainly, um, who just phenomenal poets, um, Sylvia Plath and, um, yeah, can't get her up, um, and, and some of the others of, of that time period, as well as Sappho and couple others and they were biographies essentially is what I did sculptural biographies and part of the reason I chose these poets including Anne Sexton that was the one I was trying to get out was they had the reputation and perhaps in fact of uh, being mentally ill mm. and um Sylvia Plath did did kill herself um and the the myths around um Emily Dickinson were probably myths um, and I studied these women very, very deeply, and they are among the most significant writers of history. And my conclusion was that for those who were mentally ill, they were creative in spite of their mental illness. Um, yeah, you know, Sylvia Plath certainly was not creating when she was in the hospital being wrapped up in, in cold blankets, you know, mm -hmm. or whatever they were doing to her. Um, but she changed the face of poetry when she was not having an episode. So, you know, she was a woman of her context. I mean, part of her context was her illness, no question. But she couldn't write about her illness while she was in it. Yeah. And neither could Anne Sexton. But yet she also changed um, the, the face of poetry. But while she was really in the you know the curves that go through all illnesses no she couldn't write you know all she could do was drink and zone out i think yeah so, yeah so i kind of did a deep study that suburban housewives could be good artists you know so <laughs> Anne sexton actually was a suburban housewife so there you go and she traveled the united states with a rock band reciting her poetry 
back wow. in like the 1960s or something. So, of all things. Yeah, it's very random. Yeah, I know. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, but those those pieces are all off in collections now. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. But wow. now, even non-crazy people can be great artists. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Well, thank you, Susan. Um, oh, thank I'm, you, Joshua. This has been fun. I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. I did. So are, are you a Tigers fan or do you just like the D? I just like the the hat. I'm I'm a um a White Sox fan. Oh, okay. Yeah. The D really is a beautiful D though, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is. Yeah, yeah. I always liked that logo. So I actually saw them play for the first in Michigan for a very long time. Mm. Um, I lived in Michigan for 40 years, um, but I got to see the Tigers play out here when I got free tickets to the new um, baseball stadium here and wow. went with friends. I don't think they won, but you know, whatever. <laughs> I didn't really care. <laughs> I didn't really care, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, you have a lovely week. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I hope the wind stops blowing soon around here. Mm. So, <laughs> <laughs> and um, if people want to find you or find more about yeah. your work, not like physically find you. <laughs> yeah, well, they can come to Minneapolis if they want. It's a wonderful <laughs> town. It really is. Um, yes, yeah, so they should go to my website, which is susanhenselprojects.com. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty easy as long as you remember there's more than one project on there. Right. Okay. Projects. So, and then from there you can get lots of places. You look up my name. Um, even if you just Google my name, mm -hmm. there are I think there are two of us with this name who are artists, and another one who is a gambling commissioner. Random. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> of all things. <laughs> So there, to my knowledge, there are three Susan Hensels on Google, and okay. I'm one of them. But not so, the gambling commissioner. I'm not the gambling commissioner, okay. <laughs> nor am I the person who does portraits. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> she lives in St. Louis, Missouri, and and somehow when she either bought or sold a truck, mm -hmm. the receipt got sent to me. So we oh, got wow. to meet each other over email. Oh, that's nice. Because <laughs> <laughs> I looked her up and I went, oh, my word. So <laughs> That's pretty cool. I like that. I know. Yeah. I thought that was just hilarious. I have no idea how they how they goofed up like that. So. <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> well, guys, uh, thanks, everyone, for listening in. And uh, I'll see you guys next time. Merry bye bye Christmas, everyone. Everyone. <laughs> Merry Christmas. Bye bye, Joshua. All right. You make me feel happy when I'm sad. Oh, so sunny. Swinging poetry's in Trinidad.